if you're just starting out talking to people, getting to know people in the space that you want to be in, and then talking to people that help those people, because you need to be able to be different. You need to differentiate. And in order to know how you're unique, I think talking to other professionals in your area of influence is definitely something that needs to be on your agenda. And here we are, another episode of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. Today's guest is Dr. Julie Raish DMA, and she is a self-proclaimed language nerd. She's also a big traveler as well, which you will hear from her story. And what I love about this interview is, first of all, we're somewhat similar. We have businesses that help people with courses and um, kind of trainings and that kind of thing. So learning about her background, I think, was really fascinating. She had a brick and mortar at one point in her career, and that was teaching language classes in the community. But, you know, that was a little bit jumping ahead. She basically fell in love with training and development classes. So she was helping people. um, She was working at the bank, actually, and she was running trainings for them and she fell in love with it. So she decided to go back to school and to teach, actually, Monterey Institute. That's where she got her master's. So that's the language piece. And so she basically fell in love with language and um, started teaching and created her own program and business around that. But then she also did some teaching at the college level, uh, Cabrillo College, for example, and a couple CSUs and other community colleges. So she runs a business online right now, helping entrepreneurs actually create better courses. So I obviously love that. Um, And I think you'll enjoy this interview because it it is jam-packed with, I don't know, our thoughts on teaching and learning as well, which I can always appreciate. So without further ado, here is Julie. All right, everybody. I have a super special guest. Every guest is special. But Julie Rach DMA and I have actually chatted somewhat recently, and we uh, have businesses that are kind of similar too. So it was. It's always really great to connect with someone else who kind of gets what it's like to sell the same thing, and where you know we were, sh- were sharing our market secrets, I guess, if you will. Um, and I learned a lot about her, and I'm really happy to. Um, have her on because I think her background of like her experience, I think is going to be really interesting to a lot of you. So welcome, Julie. Thanks, Lindsay. Yay. Yay. It's so nice to be here with you. Yeah. I'm excited that you're here too. Um, has the school year started for you yet? I know you're, you're teaching. Yes, it just started. We launched or I launched my online class last Thursday and one was Monday and I'm about to launch a hundred plus person lab. Ooh, that sounds intense. Yeah. Um, First time too. Mm, Ooh, new prep is always a big deal. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Well, happy new school year. And I would love to start with your academic background. Um, It's just obviously it makes sense on a show about academics, right? (laughs) So tell us a little bit. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about what you studied, what you're kind of obsessed with and research, if you did any research projects or anything in your in your degree. So give us give us the CV. All right. Well, it's no secret that I am a total languages nerd. I Mm. left high school with a goal to become fluent in three languages by the time I turned 21. I had a pretty good start, you know, Mm. but when I 
did a year abroad before college, it made my choices in college even more complicated. So I ended up being a Mm. double major. I doubled in Spanish education and international studies. I focused on Latin America and did additional study abroad, of course, Mm. during my time uh, in undergrad. And that really put me in an interesting position because when I graduated, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if Ah. I should just go straight into that MA or a PhD or if I should become a diplomat. And so my first job was a banker. And oh my gosh, yes. I know. (laughs) That's funny. It is funny because it's totally the opposite of what I studied. But um, through my work as a banker, I decided that entrepreneurship was definitely in the cards for me. And Ah. that is what got me back into my master's program. So I am a graduate and alum of the Monterey Institute of International Studies, which ironically does not exist in name anymore. It is now Mm. the Middlebury Institute of International Studies because it was acquired by Middlebury College shortly after I graduated, in, in fact. And um, I have a degree in teaching language or teaching foreign language, which is basically an applied linguistics degree and a certificate in computer assisted language learning. Nice. Very cool. Okay, so the part about the banking thing, how how does that connect to entrepreneurship for you? Because I I I I just like tapping into it. I think the the language, well, and language, so we can get into the nerd like semantics of it, but like the word entrepreneur, I think means different things to different people. And and this idea that you went into banking, it wasn't your degree, but so did you see people with businesses and that inspired you? Where where does that connection come in for you? Well, it's kind of interesting because when I first started at the bank, they wanted me to kind of start from the ground up. It was Mm. um, the woman that was managing the bank was this firm believer that in order to be a personal banker, I had to also understand what it was like to be a teller. And so they started sending me to these trainings in Sacramento. And so I was commuting to be trained as a teller and then later as a banker for something like, I don't know. 10 or 12 weeks. I mean, it was like this significant period of time. And I love the training and development aspect because, you know, training and development Mm. classes, whether they're live or online, they're a little bit more, well, they're just different from college classes, right? For sure. It's not like a lecture hall and it's very like, you know, engaging and like results driven. And yeah, so I loved all the training aspects. And then when I went back to the bank and I started working, I was liking most of it, but I wasn't exactly in love. And so it came down to this one training meeting that we were having because we had these regular meetings, like, I don't know, every once a month or something like that. And so we had this team meeting and we had this training and development component. And I remember it was like this um, exercise. And I think a lot of people do this in the mindset world. Um, but mm. it's that, that peeling the onion, the, why do you do this thing or why, uh, yeah. like that kind of, what makes you tick, like the getting down to the nuts and bolts of it all. And I was hitting this burnout mode because I just been going like super strong since like, you know, I started and was doing all this really intensive like training and then, mm. you know, startup in any business is really rough. So, this exercise, it got me to thinking, what do I really love? And like, what gets me to work every day? And my why was really because I wanted to make other people happy. 
Mm. And so at the time I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to have like this existential crisis and like, you know, quit being a banker (laughs) or can I just go to work to make people happy? And once I started doing Mm. that, I was super, uh, I was feeling a lot more fulfilled in my work and I wasn't feeling as drained, but there was still something missing. And through more introspection, I just came to the realization that, you know, what really truly made me happy as a person was when I was in the classroom. And that was Mm. leading up to, you know, getting my degrees. I did a lot of after school education and as a language learner and teacher early on, I worked with charter schools and I did a lot of um, informal teaching as well in my community. And so those were the moments that, you know, professionally, (laughs) you know, at the ripe old age of 25, I had felt (laughs) actually like fulfilled. Mm. So I decided I was going to start a company. And in order to do that, I needed to up my credentials. And I really didn't want to go and get like a teaching credential for the secondary Mm. level. It was not my calling. And so I went and I got a master's degree. And I thought at the same time, you know, I would learn something about going into business by being at the Bonner Institute. And so Mm-hmm. It was just one thing led to another, right? Mm-hmm. But I really honestly was not in love with banking yeah. from a pretty, sig- like, I would say pretty early on. I mean, like I was there a total of two years and uh-huh. while I love the training and development aspect, it was just, I don't know, the never ending pile of work and the customers that were always unhappy to be there because their accounts mm. were undrawn <laughs> and like, right? yeah, it was, yeah. Usually often people are in there in a negative way, some, you know, sometimes, but um, yeah, I hear you. Yes. So tell me about like some of the first moves you made to start a business. Um, I love that you kind of went into the master's program and kind of imagining that you would get some training around starting a business, you know, with your degree. So tell me about that initial jump into uh, starting a business. Well, I pretty much dove right in. I had been doing language lessons kind of informally as well as in the classroom for the better part of a decade. So I'd started Uh doing that when I was about 18. And by the time I hit grad school, I was 28. Mm -hmm. And the business training really wasn't there in a super strong way, but I was taking classes on how to become a language program administrator. And so Ah. in terms of understanding what to do for a language and culture academy, which was the type of business I wanted to start, I was getting Mm -hmm. really excellent hands-on training. At the Monterey Institute, they have a school for anyone, basically, to come and contract language instructors to teach them using the Monterey method. And it's well known. All the people that are at the Department of the Defense Language Institute, you know, the big military base there, they all come to the Monterey Institute Mm -hmm. to get trained as teachers, Mm -hmm. because most of them, honestly, are like, like real honest to goodness, like rocket scientists that have these huge backgrounds and, you know, chemistry and physics and, and all these things, which, you know, doesn't actually translate into language teaching. There's a lot of language involved in all of that, but it's not exactly the same thing. So in terms of like the hands-on experience that I was gaining, I was doing an internship there at, um, Mm. I can't even remember what it's called, but the language school that was on campus, I was teaching in the community. I had several clients that I was meeting with and designing lessons for and customizing curricula and all of that. And then in my 
classes, we had to do lots of case studies. And Mm. we studied Cabrillo College's Spanish class there. I learned how a community college runs, thinks, ticks, the types of students Mm -hmm. that are involved in a community college, which it's very different from like, say, a CSU where I teach now. Yep. And I also, through my other projects, I got involved in this I don't want to call it a translation project, but it was like this transitioning traditional teachers to being able to work in an online space, like to be able to actually Mm. teach online. And so, yes, yes, it was the first time that I'd kind of thought about like online Mm. teaching. Mm -hmm. um, What year is this? This was probably like, oh my gosh, it was probably like 2008. 2007. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Because at the time I was doing the certificate, the computer assisted language learning certificate, and we had to design a curricula that was based on like technology and we could choose like a high tech or a low tech situation or whatever. But there was this movement at the language school where I was kind of interning and the teachers there were these like hardcore traditional teachers that didn't really know a lot about technology other than like how to check their email and how to make a PowerPoint. Mm. Yep. So it was very eye-opening. Oh yeah, I bet. Tech is probably one of the more, I don't even know. It's like the most difficult thing to teach, I think, because especially as an expert, because it's so hard to get into the mind of someone who has no clue. So from a curriculum standpoint, like breaking down steps for tech is pretty, pretty serious stuff. Yes. And vetting the tech too is also very serious because Mm. there was, I think that was right at the height of the web 2.0 and all of these great extensions and applications and things were starting to Uh be developed and video was starting to be used for email and for, you know, YouTube was just coming really into vogue right then too. And people were starting to think about how they could do business in a different way. Mm. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So you're learning about teaching through internship and stuff like that. And then when did you kind of take the plunge and make your first, um, you know, make your first dollar, we could even say, because I know I know a little bit more of your backstory and um, I know where you are today, too. So, yeah, I'd love for you to paint a picture about you deciding to to actually do this, the risky thing of of starting a business and um, and the things that happened around that, that would be awesome. So this story is like, it's really complex. Actually, there's so many layers, but I'll try (laughs) to be like linear about it. Cool. So right before I was going to graduate, I was sitting in a seminar with a girlfriend and we're talking about her plans for after graduation and my plans and blah, blah, blah. And it was a language teacher like seminar. So in the certificate that I didn't end up completing, but it was for like running a language program, right? We had to like Mm -hmm. talk about how we would train teachers and like the focus of my project was computer assisted language learning. And so I was going to help transition teachers from a traditional focus, you know, to be able to teach in a hybrid fashion. So by integrating tech tools basically into their curricula. And it was mm-hmm. going to be, I don't know, something like a two week intensive course in Florence, Italy. Because my friend, she was going to be running a TEFL center for teachers in Florence. And Mm. so we got this great idea that one of the first things that she was going to do is invite me out there. And uh, I was going to run this 
seminar. Actually, I think it wasn't the year that I graduated. I think it was the year that she graduated. And so I was going to graduate the next year. So I was like, oh, that'd be so great. I'll go to Europe for the summer. We'll get this going. So I started, I got my business license. I developed a website. I actually developed it in one night when I went. Wow. Mm -hmm. I went to Costa Rica before I went out to Europe. I was going to be doing my practicum teaching and due to some very crazy miscommunications that actually didn't end up happening. But what did happen was I developed my website in like 24 hours. I emailed like a list of a thousand professors on the CSU system. Sorry guys, I spammed y'all. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was just waiting. I was like, cool. Um, I'm ready. I'm open for business. You know, I had like PayPal mm -hmm. integrations. People could pay me to sign up and everything. And then crickets. Mm. It was like my actual first launch. Yep. So that didn't yep. fly. But when I first started really, really making money, you know, beyond just tutoring and stuff, it, it wasn't too long after that. So I completed my degree. I graduated. I moved to Santa Cruz from Monterey, you know, not even an hour away. And I started to just work as an office manager for this tech mm. startup. They were doing like websites and some other stuff. And that was really eye-opening too, because I got to learn a lot more about web design mm. and copywriting and all the things sure. that, you know, you don't really learn in like a master's program. And believe it or not, I was on the boardwalk dancing because I'm, I love dancing salsa and mm. Latin dance. And a friend of mine was like, I don't know what we're going to do. And I just kind of overheard this conversation. She was like, I don't know what we're going to do. We're looking for a Spanish instructor. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my gosh. What? <laughs> You're looking for a Spanish instructor? Because right at that moment, I don't know, the whole office, like working for somebody kind of thing is like an, like a second in command or like trying to be helping the boss deliver on his dreams. It just wasn't working for me for some reason. Mm. It was more like I wanted to be delivering on my own dreams. And then yeah. she's like, Hey, we basically did all the legwork with the PTO or the, you know, the political side of it, you know, where the school has to make approve the program, but we just needed an instructor. And the instructor that we had like thought was going to do this is not going to do it. I said, cool. Well, you know, I definitely have the qualifications to do that. What do you need for this to happen? And she says, well, we just need a proposal by like Monday. So I put together a proposal, they approved it. And within less than like five weeks or something, I had 60 plus students and a wait list signed wow. up for after school Spanish. Nice. And that was how it all started. I love it. I, it's like a little bit of an accident, but it kind of just happened. <laughs> it totally it totally did. It was just yeah. like, you know, just go dancing and all your problems will be solved. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Done. All right. <laughs> your best advice, right? <laughs> totally. Just don't even think I love about it. it. You're on the right path. Yeah. Well, and that's true. I think, you know, as, as much as I kid about that, but it's like, you know, all of our research and our background and our knowledge and experience or whatever sometimes lines you up into being at that moment. So it's not that, oh, it's just luck, but you're you're prepared for that opportunity to cross your path. And I think that's the the key. And so, you know, taking steps towards being in the place where you could potentially, you know, start a business or have this opportunity fall in your lap. It's not out of nowhere, but still still seems super fun and, and a little out of place. But I love it. Totally. All right. So tell us a little bit about 
what you're doing now, because I, I do also like to, yeah, show the evolution of, so, you know, from going from, yeah, basically cold email blasting, spamming or whatever, potentially illegally, <laughs> we don't have to get into that, but like, you know, not maybe having your first successful launch, um, to actually having enrolled students. What are some other stages of evolution that your business has taken to bring us kind of up to speed with where you are now? Wow. So my business has been with me this entire way and mm. around the world and back again. Mm. And shortly after the program launched, it was doing so well. There were so many students enrolled, but I had kept the cost so low mm. that I ended up having to hire on more instructors to help me out. And I blew yep. my budget right away. Yeah. Um, it was probably around the midway mark too, that I also got sick because I was really overdoing mm. it. I was working mm -hmm. not only my startup, but a friend's startup. And we were teaching like, like dance lessons in the community and doing all these things. And I was just really like overdoing it. So, you know, word to the wise, you know, don't overdo it when yeah. you're starting a business. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned my limits. I learned more than just a thing or two about um, budgeting and the sure. wonderful thing that happened was it gave me the opportunity to train a team of teachers. Mm, and taking that mm -hmm. experience, I was still broke and I was definitely looking to move out of Santa Cruz, but I got this random email from kind of a distant colleague from Middlebury saying, Hey, we've got this program in Chile and we need a few instructors. And I was like, wait a second, Chile, I was, I lived in Chile for a while. I already have papers. Like if I want to go back, you know, I can work there. Um, awesome. It's not going to be a problem. So that's how I had actually learned Spanish. The first time was I was a foreign exchange student mm. in Chile and through this opportunity and, you know, facing the cold reality that I wasn't going to be able to pay my next month's rent, I decided to move to Chile and I did it in like less than 10 days. I was in the classroom, like teaching and also like a lead teacher for five other sites within 10 days. <laughs> nice. And I kid you not. Like we knocked out like 400 plus hours of curricula in Whoa. Like two days. Whoa. And then I went to implement that and teach a team of non-teachers. <laughs> like didn't even mm -hmm. know, like barely, <laughs> some of them didn't even know English. And we taught them how to teach English to the students that we had there in that program. Wow. But that was, that was really like where things started turning around for me. So mm. out of that, I got job offers there in Chile. I decided I wasn't going to go for them. I'd fallen in love. Um, so I wanted to come back to the States, see my family. And then this person mm -hmm. had gotten accepted to a PhD program in Europe. Mm. So I tried to take my business and everything else to Europe at that point. And it was not happening. Mm. I did not have the skill set, I think, to be able to market myself. Ah, and this is all local and in person and not online at, at that, that point? Well, or... I think at that point, I figured, you know, the best way for me to do to go into business would have been online. And so I'd started, oh, got I it. started various blogs and various like services. And I was doing in person stuff, but I didn't have a work permit, I think, and my paperwork okay. hadn't gone through yet. So even as just a resident or like a almost resident, I was kind of in this weird limbo. So I had to work basically in the US, but the only way I could work in the US was if I was doing it online. Mm. Yeah. So there were some hiccups there. And then my dad was really sick. And when I moved mm. back to the US in 2011, he passed away shortly after. 
and mm. more opportunities just opened up. So that's how I came mm. to work for the CSU. And that's how I was also Got offered it. a position at a community college here. Mm -hmm. um, I did that tirelessly like for several years and then yep. had a baby <laughs> with another person, <laughs> right? Because I met my husband pretty much the mm. first day of work and the rest is kind of history. But, you know, through working with the CSU, I've been able to be involved in some amazing projects. We've got mm. online Spanish happening in a pretty big way. I've taught cool teachers through the CSU or supervised teachers, I guess is the correct word. Mm. But I've taken all these skills that I've done, you know, in previous renditions of my business and been able mm -hmm. to expand on them and to continue learning. Uh, because when you're putting out a class of like 25 plus students and it's like a long progressive class, I mean, there's no amount of learning that that can't happen in that time. For sure. So that's awesome. That's where I'm at. Are you still supervising teachers right now at CS at the CSU? I actually gave up that responsibility last year. Got it. It was cool. it was interesting. I continued to do it the first year that my son was born, but the second year mm. I it was just too much work on top of my work because sure. they brought me yeah. some colleagues went on sabbatical basically and I couldn't continue doing that and teaching a mm. larger load. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a scheduling yep. thing mostly. Yeah. Nice. So tell us a little bit about, because I know also you're doing like a rebrand. We've had that conversation too recently. So tell us a little bit about what you're up to currently, what your business looks like now. Um, and then maybe even dive into what you kind of want it to be doing and what you want it to look like in the future, what your goal is for it. Nice. Yeah. So probably about a year ago, I decided I was going to try to bring my business more online and mm. I've been teaching a little bit online. I'd been getting all my, you know, ducks in a row, so to speak, with like the skill set aspect. And then I thought, you know, there's just more that I could do. There's more impact that I can make. And mm. truth be told, like I kind of got off on the wrong foot. I was taking more of a marketing approach. And so when I say rebranding, sure. um, it was just understanding that I'd gone down the wrong pathway. I had totally packaged myself in a way that, I had authority, but not as much authority as I would as an online mm. course consultant. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so basically I started kind of peeling the onion or like unpacking all of that in sure. January of 2018. Okay, And so I started uh -huh. working with a coach at that time in a rebrand and it's just been going on for what seems like forever. But there were so many layers to <laughs> peel back and there were so many. Oh, gosh. Boy, do I know that yes. uh, feeling for oh sure. Oh, my gosh. I yeah. hadn't realized how far down the tunnel the other mm -hmm. way I'd gone. And so mm -hmm. I think also, you know, the biggest thing that I took away from all of this is just really, I mean, in order to be true to yourself and to your brand, because you are your brand, right, is that you can't, you just can't get caught up in the rest of it all. Cause you know, everybody around mm. you is into like shiny objects and marketing and copy yep. and this and that and the other. And there's so many pieces to the puzzle. And in academia, I think that the thing is that we oftentimes have to do a lot of it ourselves. And so we're, For sure. we're kind of almost like programmed to like have to do it all. I mean, for the community college, mm. I was having to advertise my classes. I was having to, you know, do the grading, the assessment, the, I was having to do oh, yeah. everything. I had to make the course. I had to like, you know, create the curriculum, yep. get it approved by the committees. 
everything. Yep. At the CSU, there's a little bit more support. There's a little bit more infrastructure. But by the same token, you know, you always have to do a lot more than just teach. You're not just hired to be yeah. a teacher. Yep. So in online business, you know, you really can just do what lights you up and it can work. Mm. And you could be very mm -hmm. narrowly focused and have that be amazing. Mm -hmm. And so it's really yep. just been getting down to that narrow focus for me that that has been working. And so one of the things that I did to kind of start this process was to offer my first online workshop. And yes. at first I was teaching people how to create an effective language or effective landing page, and but using like a mm. linguistic focus, you know, the, the three oh, aspects nice. of, a, of a landing page, but that was still kind of too marketing like, and I realized through that experience yeah. that the way that I approach my work is really through teaching. <laughs> and so right. I hosted a summit in June and it went mm. extremely well. There were four experts in the panel. And what I focused on was how to get paid to create your course. And then yes. the rest of the, the, the focus of the summit was really around the creating the content, uh, advertising, and the mindset pieces of all of that. Yeah. Lovely. So since then, I've just really been reaching out and meeting other people in the industry and just like kind of overdoing it actually with the market research even because <laughs> sure, it, it happens. happens, but it's been summertime and you know, sure. the, I say overdoing it, but I really honest to goodness think that where I got off on the wrong foot in the beginning was not doing enough market research. And so that's really where it's kind of been. Mm, yep. Me. Yep. And where I'd like to see us yeah. going is into more of the direction of helping people to really transition their in-person businesses to an online space, either via a course or via mm. a training to also really help them to understand that process to creating mm. a course and to improving existing courses that they might already have set nope. up, but are not getting the results or the completion rates or the success rates. And I know that there's, there's definitely like an aspect of like students are earning credit in the CSU, but mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I've worked, you know, I've worked in numerous ways, right. At community college, et cetera, et cetera. But I've got the lowest attrition rates that I've had since starting as a teacher teaching online. And so I think there's mm. something there and I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, it's something that I can help other entrepreneurs to be able to do. The attrition rates at the college that you're teaching yeah, at? So you or? Know, every semester you start off yeah. and it's like you start off the full class and yeah. by, <laughs> you know, two weeks later, you've got a few ad drops because of natural things like scheduling conflicts, et cetera, et cetera. But then by the end of the semester, you've inevitably lost like X percent of students. And I don't yep. know what it is across the CSU right now in terms of like an average, but at the community college, the attrition rates were so high. I mean, one yes. semester yep. I started off with like a full class and I ended the class with like literally, I don't know, we'll just say like a fraction, like a minor fraction of how many students mm -hmm. that was. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it's always different every semester, but sure. I think that the one, the one thing that the CSU is not doing for its students is really supporting them in terms of like mental health and like yes, life skills yeah. and like training mm -hmm. in that way. And that's, that's kind of the big cause that I've seen coming in, but, yep. but it's great to be able to teach online because, you know, you can reach out to those students and it doesn't have to be like a, 
approach the student type thing. You know, you can just email them yep. or, you know, just kind of reach out and it's mm-hmm. not, it's not as invasive. It's, it's actually really, I think it's really good for that kind of a thing. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. So, yeah. So as I think about too, like you mentioned, I like the, I like the talk, the talk and conversation where we were thinking about the narrow focus and like the change. Cause I have a similar story and I know I've shared it on here, but like, oh, I thought I was doing one thing and then just this little light bulb goes off and then it's like, oh yeah, why am I not leveraging all this amazing, like, you know, you use the word authority, but like, yeah, like this, you know, I trained my whole life for this. Why is that not my business? And it, it is interesting how we can kind of get in our own head about what either our skills are, but also what skills are marketable. And I think that's a little bit where... I went down because I did. I also did something similar to you too, where I went down a marketing path as well um, when I got into business. And I did it, you know, because I did it in a partnership with somebody and it actually helped me learn a lot about marketing. But then at the end of last year, I kind of like looked around and I was like, huh, that was an interesting little like rabbit hole I went down, you know? Um, so it's pretty easy to have, have like have that happen in business. But we can totally learn from it, too. And I think as academics who like to research things and, you know, kind of understand how the, you know, the playing field works, it kind of makes sense that we want to learn marketing. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny because I even and I'm wondering if this is similar to you, but I even just found how terribly people were teaching the concepts that it was like, well, I could teach this better. I may not have like this huge background in marketing, but like people are making it really confusing. (laughs) So there was this like natural energy for me to be like, hey, this is actually what a funnel is for those of you who are really confused. um, So is that how you ended up starting to teach marketing was like just recognizing how bad people are at teaching it? (laughs) Well, to be honest, I hadn't even seen a lot of other people's work. Oh, how funny. Okay. I was noticing from like a reader standpoint, because, you know, before you like really get active or like recognized for like your authority or like what sure. you bring to the table, you're, you're this like perpetual lurker. Yeah. You're looking yes, in that's groups. a good point. You've made a lot of yep. friends. You're liking a lot of posts and you're reading really bad copy. Everywhere you look. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God. How so the linguist in you was like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. you know, you're reading everybody else's funnel because, you know, yeah. you've downloaded their freebie and yep. you've got like this download pile of like, you know, the size of just a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So you're like, yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of that. Yeah. Like, wow. You know, you guys need like an editor and I could do that. I could show you how to make a workbook that actually like converts. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, I didn't really have the language around that and I didn't have the background to really back it up. And so that is something I can do. I can, Mm -hmm. I can go through somebody's funnel and I actually got my best month ever, I got paid to go through somebody's funnel and to connect it back to their landing page. And it nice. was like the person really, I think she really wanted a copy writer. Yeah. But, you know, I went back through and I gave her feedback and I, just like a teacher would, asked yeah, sure. all those questions like, well, what right. are you trying to say here? How effective is it to have two calls to action when you could just have mm-hmm. one really strong one? You mm-hmm. know, things like that. And it was like eye opening for the person. And I was like, well, maybe I'm onto something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Except yeah. <laughs> I kept wanting to teach marketing, you know, and sure. I was like, this is really fun and it's going to be very important for me to know this and to relate it to other people in this way. 
but maybe there's something more that I can do. Yeah. Like, is this my thing? Yeah. Right. Because I kind of got down to it and I was like, well, you know, the landing page is connected to the funnel. The funnel is connected to this and this, you know, and I, where I got was like, well, this is connected to the course or the program. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 So I, I love that because I, you know, and even if you're listening and you're like, Oh, I don't even know where to start or, or a, I have no idea what they're talking about. Cause that's, you know, yeah, we kind of got a little nerdy on the language, but either way, I think what's interesting, what I'm recognizing as an academic and even just like all the interviews I've done now and like, you know, what I'm seeing out in this space, having been kind of, you know, playing around with this for about two years, you know, people need a lot of help around the like communication piece. Um, My husband is helping more in our business than he has before in different ways. And he's just like, man, there's some people, yeah, who can't write, who don't communicate very well. And so you know, from a perspective of, wow, some like, you know, highly educated folks coming into this space, like we could help people with a lot of different niches. So even if it's not courses with, you know, your obviously like extensive background in like teaching and learning and study of curriculum and, um, you know, to teach language, that's a whole, a whole other ballgame. All of that, like obviously leads to courses, but even if like your skill is research or your skill is editing or or you enjoy writing or you like, yeah, I don't know, like, you know, nuts and bolts kind of stuff. The skills that we have are needed in all these different ways. And you can kind of position yourself um, to help with a lot of stuff because so much of running a business is communication. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really how I got packaged when I worked with like a coach just mm-hmm. like on a one-off session the first time. She was like, no communications and building confidence yeah. and everything. And I'm like, yeah, I could really do that. Cause yeah, you know, I'm a Spanish teacher, really mm-hmm. like my day job. Right. But I think I was scared of like a conflict of interest. And I think mm, that a lot of people sure. in academia might be scared of the same thing, but I would yep. say, you know what, just read the fine print and then jump on in because there's, there should be nothing in your contract that says you can't make more money. Uh, yeah. What it's- you do. This is coming up for me. So good. I'm glad you're bringing this up because this has come up recently a couple of times and people were asking about either, you know, is it, are, are you allowed to make money off of your research? Like if I'm a grad student, I'm writing my dissertation, like I want to make a course from it. I've actually had people reach out to me about that. And, you know, yeah, look at your contract. I think as a grad student, it's, you know, you might fly, like you might not be as watched maybe as someone who's a tenure track, you know, faculty or something, but you do want to pay attention to uh, who's employing you, what their stipulations are around the curriculum you create. Sometimes I've been seeing stuff coming up, actually, a recent article I read that was saying that, you know, some institutions are like banning the professor from doing X, Y, and Z with their content. So I think we're getting into that era of, oh, who owns what we create um, at the institution. So you do want to pay attention to that. But likely you're fine, I guess, is kind of what you're saying. I think, yeah, watch your back and like, make sure you follow and like, look at the contract and that kind of thing. But don't let that stop you. Exactly. I think, you know, the idea that you can be a millionaire, billionaire, trillionaire, whatever, and go bankrupt and then make it all back again. It's that same concept. You know, you are intellectually rich and Mm. you could throw away your syllabus and your course curricula or whatever. You could give it away even it could be your best work ever, but you could still go out and create something better Mm. and, um, 
And I think that's my point is that you don't need to be scared of what you don't know. Just, you know, mm. figure out like what the parameters are and then go for it. Um, yeah. I love that. I love that. And it, it is scary, <laughs> totally but scary. at the same time, yeah, there's a lot of information out there and you brought up hiring a coach, um, you know, is somewhat early on. And then you've recently hired someone, you know, where did you go for help on learning how to run a business? Cause that, that's also something I like to highlight here. Like there is a lot of places like courses and mentors and coaches and, Lots of places we can learn how to do this. Um, some of it costs money. Some of it is free. Um, some of it's experimentation and just kind of trial and error. But, you know, what made you like start to look for help in those areas? Yeah. So at first I did try to kind of go out on my own and mm-hmm. I got this kind of like stuck feeling. So I mm. needed to get clear and I had a good friend of mine who had taken her business online and she had done at first she was doing like fitness. She was a fitness trainer and Mm -hmm. she brought it online and then she started doing more business coaching because people were like, well, how did you do this? I'd like to work Mm -hmm. with you and learn how to do this. So it was like one thing led to another, but you know, at the point that I asked her to help me, you know, she was super gifted at coming up with messaging and she was very intuitive with, certain aspects of the, you know, defining your platform and like figuring out the direction that you want to go. And so I was like, let's do this. So we, Mm. in 90 minutes, like carved out, you know, my first platform and, you know, looking back at the work that we did, you know, she really helped me to find the most lucrative way to go Ah, where I could mm -hmm. find the most kind of like bang for my buck. Like, so if I was for sure. putting in the work, then, you know, which audience would be able to pay me, which audience would be able to grow with me or which audience. Mm, would I, I love that. To? Yeah. I think that's a really good tip. Also, by the way, for people listening, because we are multi-talented as you know, Julie's representing with her life and background and, and we can help in a lot of different ways. So really narrowing it down and being like, yeah, Who's going to be able to pay? You know, what problem are they trying to solve? Like how urgent in it? Lots of those things factor in when you're, um, yes. And and getting those first clients is the biggest hurdle to get over. So how can you get them quickly, obviously? Totally. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of self-sabotaged, but not really my fault <laughs> at that point because I was going out of the country and I just had a lot of unknowns as far as like, you know, would I have internet access? How much time sure. in a day would I have childcare? Like all these things that you want to have kind of consistently stable for it if you're going to be like putting some time in because at least for me mm-hmm. like I can't be bouncing around like oh I got 30 minutes now I got like an hour later yeah like, no that makes it thought, tough my to-do list it just doesn't <laughs> ever feel like it's getting done if I'm if I'm not consistent at least and so that was kind of my summer and I kind of practiced like getting visible and like posting and like you know preparing myself for developing a personal brand but one of the pieces of advice that I'd gotten from my coach was to learn about the back end of marketing and like to learn about Mm. what is like an opt-in and a funnel and you know figure out like what would that be for me and so Mm. I joined a course with another coach it was somebody who'd worked in academia I felt like I could place a lot of trust in her and in her curricula without even having a look at the first module or whatever, that was like a 16 week course. And so I did that. It was a program, not a course, a program. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think where I was at in my business, in my head, I thought I was further along than I actually was because once I got into Ah. the material, I was like, oh, 
I don't have a lot of market research and that's not a huge focus of this. And so then it felt like I was kind of backpedaling for a while to kind of catch up. And then at the end of this program is when I decided to go more of a marketing strategist type route. Uh Because I think what I had gone with with my first title was Confident Communication Consultant and Ah. focusing on that confidence piece, right? But still working with like words and language and how to express yourself and like, you know, protocol and like how to do it the right way. And it just wasn't understood by everybody. And so that's why I kind of went Mm. more the marketing strategist way. But because I also had that confidence piece, I added in like marketing and mindset for a while. Nice. I like it. I mean, yeah, sometimes we can overthink it a little bit. And um, I remember too, like some of the early things, like we want to distinguish ourselves, right? And be like, oh, I'm special and I have these special qualities. And like, and then we can come up with a way we can help people. But Sometimes just being a copywriter versus like, I don't know, like some, something added to make it more complicated and more nuanced. It's like, oh, if the person's a copywriter, they're a copywriter. It's fine. But we want to name ourselves and be different. I at least remember doing that early on. And um, I even still... What do you call yourself right now? Because I I was like vacillating back and forth between like, oh, I'm an online learning specialist. And then it was like, you know, there's so many weird things we can call ourselves. And it's like, what do we do? Like we help people with their courses <laughs> online, you know? And so we can get in and adding all these like fancy things. But in the end, it's like, what do you do for people? Cool. And like you are special and have all this cool background, but like the title that you carry can be pretty simple. Yeah. And I feel like it might change in the future. Sure. You know, um, after we started chatting, I was going through this rebranding like pretty strong. And I had been using online course design consultant Mm, mm -hmm. um, because I thought that the word course would be really like clear. And then I started looking on LinkedIn and I started looking at jobs that people were advertising. And I was looking at the e-learning and all of that and, you know, trying Mm -hmm. to figure out, you know, which way did I want to go with like my own titling and messaging and everything. Mm -hmm. And so far my, my minor conclusions are that, you know, it doesn't matter exactly what your title is, but it does matter that your ideal clients are looking for that person. Yeah. And that they know what that is. Yes. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. As long as it's clear to whoever wants to hire you, you're golden. That's all you need. And then referrals (laughs) will just come. But if nobody yep. knows who you are or what you do, or you're not coming up in a Google search, then mm. that's the problem. So like, yep, yep, yep. I think it also depends on like where you are in your business, because somebody that has mm-hmm. a lot more clout that's been in the industry for longer, like you could call yourself, you know, whatever. I mean, yep. it would not even matter. It could be the silliest thing yep. ever or the most serious thing ever. And it just wouldn't matter because people would be like, they would have name recognition or name and face recognition sure. or they would know yep. that, you know, you're the person that did so-and-so's course or, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, exactly. For somebody just starting out, I think that you just need to have it be really simple, really clear. And then if you get into a niche that's more like e-learning or curriculum specialist or whatever, like go with that then. Nobody says you can't mm-hmm. change it. Yep. 
Yep. I think that's so true. It's so funny. I remember when an early mentor, I had like a coach, I was worried about this. I was like, e like there's lots of different language that people use and it's not like super clear. And I was like going back and forth and she's like, do you know what I call myself? Like, do you know my title? And I was like, I have no idea. And she goes, but you hired me and like, you know, I'm here. And I'm like, yeah. And so she walked me back from that cliff too, just like you're doing where it's like, it matters and it doesn't like, you know, your website matters and it doesn't, you don't have to have one to get your first client, but it obviously helps like having a clear title. It's not like you have to have it, but it can help. And so I think we can just get to all these blocks and obstacles very easily in business. Um, whereas I look at like, you know, an academic career, you kind of you study, you know what the next step is, it's pretty clear what the path is. But yeah, in entrepreneurship, there's just roadblock after roadblock or, or decision to be made after decision. And there isn't necessarily a clear, this is what works always. <laughs> and I think with like research and like academia, it's clear. It's like, oh, you know, this is how you do a lit review. And like you can find and so you just kind of follow the formula and you're fine. But in business, it's like lots of formulas exist and a lot of them work and some of them don't for some people. And so you have to really, we can get wrapped up and kind of overanalyze is something I'm finding. So um, I appreciate you talking me through that, you know, and also for the audience, because I think that's a place that people can get pretty hung up too. Yeah, I think unfortunately in academia, you know, we're so used to using these very precise terminologies mm, and everything. Yeah. In academia, and I have examples from, you know, my community college teaching days, like it can come and bite you in the butt because yep. my degree... <laughs> Uh, it was a master's in teaching foreign language. Well, yeah. why didn't they just say applied linguistics? Guess what mm. I had to do? First semester, I had to do an equivalency. Yep. Oh, gosh, equivalencies. Yeah, equivalency yes. totally, <laughs> yeah, rocked my world yep. the first time. And then I had to do it again yep. when I yep. got hired on to teach uh, English. Yep. So, I mean, it was just one of those things that was going to be inevitable, but it's also one of those degrees that I could apply it in a lot of directions. I could be equivalent yeah. in a few different ways, right? Yeah, you have to prove yourself if you don't just get a, I'm a Spanish, yeah, a Spanish teaching degree, like, or teaching Spanish. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, very true. That actually is like my degree too. So my doctorate is in international and multicultural education yes. and which they're changing it now or they they talked about it. I actually don't know if it ever went through, but like a couple of years ago, they're like, oh, it's, you know, it doesn't really represent like our department's like, you know, paradigms and like, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's been hard for a lot of my friends who graduated the program to get work. Um, and so since I have a terminal master's degree in sociology, I was always going to teach sociology at the community college, but I got a doctorate to become a better teacher and to expand that. Like, that's why I did it. So my, yeah, my terminal sociology degree was enough and that's what gets me jobs. But then my friends who don't have like, I have a friend who teaches rhetoric and writing and she got the same degree I got, but she also has like a journalism degree, I want to say, but it might not. Yeah, it might be a master's degree. That part I don't remember, but she uh, it's like really hard for her to apply for community colleges because they're like, well, what is international multicultural education? We don't like teach that anywhere. <laughs> and right. it's true. And so um, and the degree, I mean, people went into it. There's obviously it's, uh, you know, the things I loved about it was because it um, served 
not just, you know, professors or people, you know, in a specific discipline that we were also very diverse in like what we did in the world. So that was really cool. But it can back people into a corner when it comes to like, what are your options with that degree? So yeah, and I know with Monterey Institute, like for those listening, like I know Julie and I connected about this before, but I used to teach over there at MPC, Monterey Peninsula College. And um, I had a lot of students and a lot of faculty that were involved with the Monterey Institute. And it's, yeah, it's a unique school. So it creates these unique degrees that like out in the world have to be explained, (laughs) unfortunately. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Oh, lovely, lovely. All the hoops we have to jump through. Super fun. Um, So how about, um, so this has been a super fun conversation. And I think um, I like where it went with our conversation, especially with where you are in business right now um, and decisions that you're making and how you're starting to tie together all, all of your skills. What advice would you give to someone who is just starting out with a new business? Or you could even give advice to somebody making the transition since you're like currently in that space. Yeah. Well, if you're just starting out, I think talking to people, getting to know people Mm. in the space that you want to be in, and then talking to people that help those people because Mm, great idea. Yep. You need to be able to be different. You need Mm. to differentiate. And in order to know how you're unique, I think talking to other professionals in your potential area of influence is definitely, is definitely like something that needs to be on your agenda. But the thing that surprised me most, and I think where I, I started to see what I did from kind of a different lens was through like Mm. virtual assistants. I yes. put up in a group that I participated in, I put up an announcement that was like, hey, I'd love to talk to anybody that is a course creator that's taken a course that's taken a course that hasn't succeeded, you know, blah, blah, blah. I had this whole list of like scenarios and I had somebody reply to the comment feed. What about a VA? And I was like, what about a VA? Huh? So, you know, huh. there's virtual assistants that help people with all aspects of business online. It's really like, you know, how a a university couldn't exist without their admins and, you know, or their work studies or whatever. And so there's somebody that does every little aspect of everything online, you know? And so that was really cool. I think those conversations really got me a lot of mileage in getting Mm. more clear on the conversations that I wanted to be having. Because when I started out really general, you know, I did like 20 conversations like right off the bat with people from all over the world, like doing all these different things associated with courses or like the desire to eventually like have their own course. But it, it really just opened my eyes to like, who do I actually want to be working with? Where does my expertise fit in to this whole big puzzle? Because, you know, there's, there's every kind of entrepreneur online, you know, from wantrepreneur to like, I'm mm. making so much money that I don't even have time to like really post online or I'm like an angel investor yeah. type <laughs> entrepreneur. So yeah, for sure. the range of entrepreneurs is just, it's so, it's so vast. And um, that's a good point. I think the other thing that I learned through that experience is really like, you never know where somebody's going to be in a short amount of time because Mm. everybody is somewhere right now with their business, but who's to say like in a year, two years, whatever, you know, your paths aren't going to cross again. You know, when that, that that you were talking to, you know, is now opening a a company to train other VAs and needs your course creating services, for example. 
There you go. I love that. Yeah, that's a great tip. And I, um, I just would love to echo that. Yes. <laughs> like I, that's how I built my business was basically through relationships, I would say. So um, that is a great, great, great tip. Thanks. I really love how in your business, everything took off when you were at an in-person event, because mm-hmm. I think that when you're talking about transitioning, and that was the second part of your question before is, you know, how do you do sure. that? Because working online, it's like, well, we use a lot of technology, even in our day to day, like whatever business you're in, you know, it's not just all email and phone calls. So I think there's this huge myth about the effectiveness of like an in-person meeting to like an online business. And I think that Mm -hmm. your story in particular Mm -hmm. highlights that so extremely well, because, you know, that one event that you were at just really gave way to so many good things. Yep. Yep. And I can say, I can say other events that I've been to similar things. Like I, that's, there is, I think there is a resurgence. I've, I've heard other entrepreneurs who've been doing this longer. So like five, six years who've been in this space saying that it, you know, it kind of, the pendulum swung to this like, oh, passive income. Like, you know, I'm just going to go sit in a beach and like make a bajillion dollars, which is fine, but it's swinging back to that intimacy and that connection, because I think as human beings, that's what we all want and crave. And so the in-person stuff is, is really, I don't know if it's like making a comeback is what some people are saying. Cause it's not like it hasn't been there, but they, it is becoming more popular. And I think I think that's a great tip too, as even if you're like currently in academia or maybe a grad student and all you know of in-person events are these like terrible conferences, (laughs) um, which, you know, they're very different and yes, they might cost money to attend, but it's super valuable to like be like face-to-face conversation with people. And you even bring up, yeah, I mean, such a, you know, other tip of, of getting on the phone with people huge. Um, and that came up in an, the other, another interview I did today was about calling people. <laughs> so there's calling people. Um, and then there's like in person and there's just that raw, real, you know, connection that just gets taken to new heights when you're in that kind of situation. Like, sure, you can be liking a bunch of people's posts and commenting and like, uh, that kind of thing. And you can watch them on video and you feel close. But then when you like really meet in person, that bond is instantly, um, you know, that much stronger. So, and like you're saying, you know, looking back, you never know who you meet along the path is just this like, you know, stepping stone to something else. You have no idea. So treating everyone as this potential, like amazing connection is, is a great way to look at it. I totally agree. Yeah. Are you headed to any events this year? Speaking of, (laughs) I haven't been able to super pinpoint the events that I would want to go to that wouldn't Mm. involve like leaving my son alone. He is three and he's almost ready to be independent and away from mommy. But Mm. right now I am the center of his world. And that's really what's kept me from some in-person events because most of them are like all day long for three days yes they're not a joke yeah treat in some foreign country and i'm like Mm -hmm. that sounds nice tax write-off but i don't really know exactly i do have my eye on a few interesting things but we'll have to see you know yeah 
Totally. Well, I thought I would ask. It's it's definitely about to be event season. Um, September, October, there's kind yes. of a, a big uptick. And I think the summer, it's a little quiet. There's some retreats and stuff, but it's not the big, big event. So yeah, we're kicking into event season. So yeah, if you're listening, you know, pay attention, especially if you live in a bigger city, there might be something locally. I often get recommended too, like when it comes to in-person events, there's like small business bureaus or something or associations that are usually in most cities. That is a way to meet people locally and, you know, definitely places like WeWork and these locations where these, you know, digital kind of nomadic entrepreneurs, you know, show up. There's often a lot of really nice, fun, um, you know, workshops uh, potentially to meet people in person. Yeah, there's a co-working space that isn't as popular as WeWork. Um, run by a bunch of female entrepreneurs and they hold like coffee hours and stuff. So you never know what might be in your town. So it doesn't have to be this huge fancy event, but just getting out and meeting other entrepreneurs, I think is a great way to learn about your industry, learn about, yeah, the diverse types of businesses that are out there, which is definitely a goal of this podcast as well. So, um, you know, to obviously showcase that. So awesome. Well, Julie, where can people find you and learn more about you, especially if they're working on a course um, or if, you know, maybe they want to improve their Spanish? <laughs> what can they where can they find you? Totally. Well, right now, due to my rebranding, I have really gone the simplified route of just one landing page with kind of all my information. Perfect. So you could check me out at bit.ly forward slash Julie Rage DMA. It's Perfect. not one of those names that just spells itself. So it's no. bit.ly <laughs> forward slash J-U-L-I-E-R-A-I-C-H-D-I-E-M-E. Perfect. And yes, we'll definitely link to the show notes as well. Direct links Excellent. to other channels. Do you hang out in any social media channels in particular? So I totally love social media. It's really <laughs> no... It's no secret that I hang out a lot on Facebook and ah. I have my own Facebook group even. Ooh, nice. Right now it's called the Worldly Women Entrepreneur Community. Hmm. And so it's just Facebook.com groups, Worldly Women Entrepreneur. Come join us for some lighthearted discussions. And yeah, Instagram, LinkedIn. The only thing I'm not really on these days is Twitter. Good old and Twitter. Good old Twitter. It's just really, it never really was my thing. So Yeah, I hear you. I tried it. I, I keep saying this. I say this probably over and over again, like every episode it feels like. But I, yeah, I used to do it when I was teaching early 2007 and 8 and 9. And then, yeah, for business, it's been a little bit tougher. I just it just isn't. I definitely do my there's a there's a huge like kind of academic entrepreneur community because these academics do love Twitter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm yes. like, I do post like, like academic mean business episodes, but like I'm not in there like commenting on things unfortunately i need to be better at like being social on this thing that is a social network <laughs> i know i think i got into twitter more as a reader and then mm -hmm. a consumer yeah right for sure yeah and then yeah that's how i got my news yes a lot exactly. of how I got my news was um, I used to listen to some cool podcasts and like underground stuff and like and then, yeah, just like there were certain people I trusted when something happened in the world. I wanted to know their perspective, but not as much right now. Not I don't know. As a sociologist, too, I was always curious about how different groups were perceiving things happening. So Twitter was a great way to kind of be a fly on the wall. Yes, for yep. sure. Mm hmm. Well, it's been super fun, Julie. Thanks for hanging out with me. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me on. And yeah. I really, really appreciate the chance to connect with you more. 
Yeah, likewise. I, I'm pretty sure this won't be the last time we talk. And maybe we'll meet in person at an event someday. <laughs> How does great. that sound? <laughs> maybe one of those retreats. That's what I'm looking for. That's totally. got to be next on my agenda. Awesome. Yay. Well, thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.